good morning and welcome to Church Online. We are so excited that you're a part of Summit Church Online. Man, what we we we're just we are just uh, really blessed by all of you who come to church online and we're so thankful that now that people are coming back to church in person, but church online is a great viable option for people who can't be here in person or people who live in other places. And we want to say thank you for part of being on Church Online. And if you really love Summit Church Online and it's really ministering to you, I want to encourage you to do something right now even. Just share this with somebody else on your Facebook page. Just put just put, hey, welcome to church and share it on your page and you'd be surprised who this might reach. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that and let's just expand to the degree that we can uh, connect with a lot of different people because you never know who's needing the Lord or who's needing a word from the Lord or who's who's needing to be saved or whose life really needs a change. And you may not even be aware of it, but you may be able to help reach them through this. And so I would encourage you to just go ahead and take that step and be a part of that. If you're new with us, I just want to say welcome. My name is David Gadbear. I'm the lead pastor here at Summit Church, and I'll be speaking to you today, and, I, and, and for the next few minutes, uh, we're going to begin a new series, but I just want to say thank you so much for being a part, and you can see on the screen, but we'd love to serve you, and I'm going to tell you, we are all about relationship here at Summit Church. We want to get to know you, and so if you'll just uh, uh, text that number and that word on the screen there, somebody will get in contact with you, somebody will touch bases with you, a leader or a pastor and connect with you. We'd love to give you a gift, send you a gift in the mail, and then definitely just want to uh, connect with you and let you know what's going on here at Summit Church and what's coming up here at Church Online. So thanks so much for being a part. If you need prayer in any way, please put it in the comments or just direct message us. However you'd like to do that, you can even talk to a pastor if you'd like. Uh, we would love to be there for you in this time, and prayer is the best way we could do that. So thank you so much for being a part. And we want to get right in. As I said, we're starting a new series, and I want to explain it to you before we get it in, get into it, because here's the deal. Every summer, we decided several years ago that we really want people to get into the Bible. We don't just want to take topics only, and sometimes it, it, we, we feel like it may not go to the depths that we want it to. And so we decided a long time ago that in the summer, we would take a book of the Bible or a couple of books of the Bible, and we would go through them uh, in the summer and that would be our what we call the summer series well this summer we're going through a book that I believe is going to be life-changing for everyone who's a part of church online and um, it's the book of Nehemiah so I want to encourage you we're going to do two things I'm going to speak messages on Nehemiah but then also we're going to have you version devotions that you can do during the week and I want to encourage you to be a part of that Today what I'm going to do is I'm going to break Nehemiah down for you or just kind of a little bit give the background and then talk to you about the first chapter of Nehemiah. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that what this does, it really ministers to you, but it challenges you as well. And the reason I say that is because I believe we live in a pivotal moment in history. I believe we live in a pivotal time for the church. And so as I've been studying Nehemiah, I'm telling you, it, it has been very interesting to me how it relates to our current circumstances. And so I'm believing that we're all going to grab a hold of this in another level, in another place, and we're just going to grow in our faith and let God use us to change our world, because that's truly what we're here for. And so uh, I want to get right into that. And so today, 
I'm going to be talking to you out of Nehemiah, and our text is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. And today in particular, I'm going to be talking to you a, a message entitled, if I, if I was to give it a title, it would be this, Repent, Rebuild, and Restore. Repent, Rebuild, and Restore. So let's read our text today, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. We're reading out of the New International Version. And everyone read it with me. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And God, I pray that you will interrupt us, God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that it won't just be me speaking or teaching, but that, Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit will literally speak through me today. God, move me out of the way. Any capacity that I would confuse or or not get it right, I pray that you'll move that out of the way and pray you'll just speak directly to the hearts of your people. And Lord, we just thank you and we receive your word today and we ask you to plant it like a seed in the soil of our heart and cause it to bear fruit that not only us can receive from and our, our family, but that Lord, everyone around us can receive from the fruit that is being born out of the life of the seeds planted in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's so good. Uh, so good. The word is so good. And I just want us to grab a hold of it and be students of the word. And so I just want to get right into this today. And so before we get started in actually talking about the chapter, I want to give you a little bit of of a breakdown of what Nehemiah is all about and what's going on here. I believe that before you can properly interpret the scripture in a practical and applicable sense presently, you have to first understand it in its cultural context. So we need to understand what was going on when it was written, where it was written, to whom it was written, and who wrote it, and what the goings-on were at the time so that we can then understand what it truly means and then appropriately apply it to ourselves. Because we do not want to be those kind of people who... uh, uh, extra contextualize or we take scriptures out of context or we add to or take away. We don't want to do that. We want to be people who understand it and then who apply it in an appropriate way specifically to our own lives. Um, So the first question we want to ask is who wrote the book? And uh, most theologians will say, Bible scholars will say, Nehemiah wrote the book. So however, Ezra and Nehemiah, those books are together. Many believe that Nehemiah is like a successor to Ezra. And so Ezra was a priest and was a contemporary of Nehemiah. So Ezra wrote Ezra, but a lot of people believe that Ezra may have been the scribe that wrote Nehemiah, but the words were Nehemiah's words. So uh, it was written by Nehemiah, and Ezra was probably the scribe, but Nehemiah provided the content. Uh, Nehemiah served in the Persian royal court as the personal cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But um, Israel had been captured and exiled by the Babylonians, but then the Medes and Persians had overtaken the Babylonians, and now uh, 
uh, Nehemiah being one of those exiles was in a very high position next to the king uh, of Persia, King Artaxerxes. So Israel had been captured and exiled, and they're in this situation where many of the exiles were allowed to go back home to Jerusalem by uh, the Babylonians and even by the Medes and Persians and say, go back, you can go back and settle. And so many of them had gone back. Nehemiah had not gone back. Um, he was still serving the king, but he was very interested in what was going on there. So Israel had been captured and exiled by the, by the Babylonians and the Medes and per Persians. Um, and this account begins in around 444 B.C., the actual book of Nehemiah. So it's important to note that Ezra, the priest, and Malachi, the prophet, were contemporaries with Nehemiah. So if you read Malachi, you read Ezra, you read Nehemiah, these are all happening at the same time. It's interesting that Malachi was a prophet, and it's interesting that Nehemiah, I mean, excuse me, that Ezra was a priest, but that Nehemiah was neither. God used Nehemiah to govern, to lead, to speak. So if, if you really were going to take a title and give it to Nehemiah, what you would give would be leader. Not spiritual leader in the sense of priest, not a leader in the sense of prophet, but leader in the sense of a, a person who is in a secular role, but very kingdom-minded and was living out kingdom purpose and God's divine purpose in his life in a secular role. Very influential, very valuable, uh, but very uh, important to not only the king of Persia, but also the king of heaven. So this account begins in around 444 B.C., and it's important for us to understand that he was an influential man in a secular position. Because a lot of times when we think of the scripture, we, we only think of it in a spiritual context. We think of priests and prophets and teachers and leaders and apostles and pastors. But we don't realize, a lot of us don't realize that God is calling every one of us. Do, do you know in Ephesians chapter 4 it says this. It says that the, 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 the apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, uh, missionary, all of these roles that are given to the church are gifts given to the church to train the church to be equipped for the ministry. In other words, a lot of times we have this idea that the people who are professionally or occupationally called to ministry, that's what they do for their job, that's who does ministry. But that is totally not right. Those people, I would be one of those people, our team staff would be one of those people, we are called to equip those who are a part of Summit Church to do the work of the ministry. See, so what we understand is he was a leader, but he wasn't in a leader. He wasn't leading in church necessarily in his full-time life, his occupational life. He was leading in the world, but he was leading from a place of belief. He was leading in a place of anointing. And, and even though he wasn't a priest and he wasn't a prophet, he was a leader for the kingdom of God in his secular role. And that applies to every single one of us across the board. <coughs> so when you think about cupbearer, because this is what he called himself, he said, I'm a cupbearer to the king. You might uh, think that, in, that anytime you've heard of a cupbearer or you've seen one in a movie or you've read about it in a, maybe a medieval book, um, a cupbearer, what we think of in our mind is 
uh, probably someone who would taste the wine or taste the food before the king so that if it was poisoned, they would die and the king wouldn't. And the truth is that job was implied in his role. But if we were to take uh, Nehemiah's role today and actually give it a title, what we would call it today is chief of staff. So basically what Nehemiah did for the king is he ran his house. He, was a, a, he, he ran the, 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 the organization of the government for King Artaxerxes. He was a very influential person, very, had a lot of integrity, could be counted on. And uh, it's interesting to really understand what he did. So Nehemiah was highly respected. He was a man of integrity. He had a role that was influential with the king, and he did his job well. And the reason you know this is because the way the king responded to him. Man, there is so much to learn from the book of Nehemiah. I mean, I, I, I have just been, I've studied it many times over the years of my ministry life, but as I have studied it this time, I'm telling you, I've just felt like God is just pouring out new thoughts and new revelations to me about how to look at this. And, 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 and we can learn every kind of different topic, leadership. You can learn leadership from Nehemiah. You can learn management from Nehemiah. You can, you can learn how to achieve greatness from Nehemiah. You, you can learn about how to cast vision or how to get people to buy in with your vision from Nehemiah. We, we can learn how to use our position as a platform for God's purpose. Uh, we can use uh, or, or learn how our career can become a launching pad for kingdom purpose in our own life with the circle of influence that God has given us. But the reason I want to study the book of Nehemiah right now and this summer is because of how it relates to where we're at in our society and culture. You know, being a, a, a person who is constantly learning and developing about leadership, my, my bent is to want to take this Nehemiah, this book of Nehemiah, and really just bring all the leadership principles out of it. But what I want us to do is I want us to not just look at it from a leadership or a management perspective. I want us to look at this from a spiritual place. Because I believe what was happening to Nehemiah, and I believe what he, the, the, the resulting response that he had from God's call on his life needs to wake us up today. It needs to, it needs to grab a hold of our hearts. It needs to grab a hold of our minds. It needs to grab a hold of our thinking and get us to shake ourselves from whatever it is that would keep us in a place of spiritual mediocrity or spiritual lukewarmness and cause us to go, wait a minute, there is something that can be done about what's going on in our world today and I'm just the person to do it and I may have been trying to do it in different ways, but now I realize and know there's a specific way to do this. And I want us to get a hold of that because that is what changes things. That's what brings change. That's what changes lives. That's what makes a difference. It teaches us, it teaches us to look at what is broken down and what we can do to fix it. We have a problem. We have many problems in our society and our culture right now. And I, I cannot believe that we as the church will set by and just say, well, look at all the problems. But I believe we realize and recognize and know that God has called us for such a time as this to be the solution to many of these problems. So what was happening to Israel 
should uh, uh, should have been and 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 wasn't it shouldn't have been it wasn't any surprise to them I mean where they were and what condition they were in and what situation they were in this was not a surprise this is something God had told them would happen he told them if they would keep his commands and stay covenant with him, he would protect and position them for prosperity as a nation. That's what he said. He said, if you'll stay in covenant with me, if you'll obey my commands, if you'll do my will, if you'll acknowledge me first, if you'll put me first, if you'll do that, I'm telling you, it will change your world and I will set you up as a nation that is prosperous. And not only will I bless you, but everybody who blesses you, I'll bless them too. This is the covenant that they had with God. But he did also give them a real a real revelation about what would happen on the other side of that as well. He said, if they would become idolatrous, and if they chose to be like the heathen nations around them, if that happened, that he would, if they, if they, turned, if they turned away from him, if they decided that other things were more important to him, if they decided we want to be like the world, then he would allow them to be judged by using other nations to overthrow them. And that's exactly what happened with ba the Babylonian oppression and then the Medes and the Persians. But God is so gracious and he's so good. And, and, and so many times you read in the scripture about how he would over and over and over again, if they would just call out to him, he'd forgive them. And so it's exactly what he told him. He said, if you live in this covenant with me, you obey me, you love me, you put me first, and we have this good relationship, I'm going to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you. But if you decide that the world is better than me, if you decide that you want those things more than you want me, if you decide that you want to be idolatrous or you want to be give in to temptation, then I, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. And if that's what you choose, you're also going to get the results of that choice, and that will be judgment and you will have to deal with what comes with that. But if that happens to you, you need to remember this, that all you have to do is start crying out to me and ask me for help. And if you'll cry out to me and ask for me for help and you'll turn away from those, those idolatrous things, if you'll turn away from those things that are pulling you away from me and you'll come towards me, I will rescue you, I will save you, and I will help you. What we see as we look at the account of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi is God's promises being kept. He did exactly what he said he would do. For the positive and for the negative, he did what he said he would do. What happened to them is exactly what he said would happen. And what's really happening is here is God's giving us an, a revelation. As we look at the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Malachi, we see, and even the books of Chronicles, we see that the, the, the truth is, God is showing us, as the prophets would say, is coming a day where all the Jews will come together. There's coming a day where the, the, the walls will be rebuilt and the new Jerusalem will come and all of this stuff. And it was speaking of a day long, long into the future that still hasn't happened yet. And what he was showing us is, is that that. There's coming a day where all these external laws and these external things are not going to change you. That this is not about behavioral modification, but it's about absolute spiritual transformation. So we don't just need change. We need heart 
change. We, we're not going to get there in and of our own ability. We're not going to be good enough. We're not going to be able to change all the things and become righteous on our own. We need a Savior. So all of this points to the fact that there's coming a day where a Messiah would come. And thank God we live on the other side of that coming of the Messiah. And Jesus gave his life. And he died on the cross in place of us. And he rose again from the dead. And now we turn our hearts towards him. But I'm going to stop for just a minute and I'm going to say something to you as the church. And I believe this wholeheartedly. I believe even though we have Christ, and I believe even though we're following Him, and I believe even though we want Him to bless our lives, that some of us, we still need some heart change. Some of us, we made a decision to follow Christ, but we're just living life and hoping He's blessing it. We're just living life and hoping that someday we'll get to go to heaven. But that's not the way this Christian life is meant to be lived. God wants to transform us from the inside out and use us to make a difference in our world. That's what this is about. It's not just about doing your little your religious exercise. It's about knowing that things are broken and we have the solution. And this brokenness in our world, although it's new to us in the United States of America where God, we've tried to push God out of our society and many forces have tried to push God out of our culture and say we don't want God and we don't want morals and we won't want truth and we want to make up our own truth and all of that thing that's happening that seems so foreign to us right now. Listen, this is not new. It's the spirit of the world. And here's the fear and here's the challenge. We cannot be partakers of the spirit of the world. And many of us are confused. And we're finding ourselves saying we're living for God, but living in the spirit of the age. And it's something that really needs to change. As we study this book, we're going to see the nature of humanity. We're going to identify a lot of things that were happening then that relate to things that are happening now. We'll see the brokenness of our own culture. We'll see the idolatry that at times uh, even happens in our own lives. We're going to recognize that the overarching message here to all of us is that it's not behavioral change that makes a difference. It is heart transformation that makes a difference. These books are true accounts, but also are used to point us to a need for a Savior of the world. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn what to do. We're going to learn to rebuild the walls of righteousness in our culture. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not kidding. You say, well, what can we do? We're going to learn through this series how to rebuild the walls of righteousness in our culture. Now, look, I just want to say something to you. We're not expecting people who do not know Christ or are not saved to be righteous. We're not sending in our are the four walls of our church and looking outside to people who do not know Christ or have a relationship with him and judging them on their behavior. And we're, because we remember what the Apostle Paul said, you're, you're judging all these people for their sin and their wickedness. But he said, such were some of you and you have forgotten that you've come from there. We're not those people. We're not going to do that. We're not going to be judgmental and look 
But we do believe that society needs to have a standard of righteousness. Society needs to operate based on the imago dei. In other words, the image of God that is placed on every human being and the conscience that even unregenerate people have in their minds and their hearts. And the truth is, we find ourselves right now in a place where lawlessness is being pushed, where immorality is being pushed, where conscience is being challenged, and do whatever you want, and have whatever you want, and act however you want. And the truth is, that is not good for society, it's not good for culture, and we need to understand that we can contribute to rebuilding the walls of righteousness. Listen, I'm not saying that our nation as a whole has been Christian in its behavior. I'm not saying that we're perfect and that we've done everything right. But I do remember a day when we were more moral than we are now. Can I get an amen? I do remember a day where people were more honest than they are now. I do remember a day where ethics and integrity mattered and people counted on it. I remember a day when you could shake somebody's hand and that was an agreement. And you didn't have to worry about all these contracts and all this legal jargon. It was, it, it, there was a different time in our world where we acknowledged the presence of God, even people who weren't Christian, even people who didn't follow Christ still had an acknowledgement or an understanding that there, there is a power out there. There is a force to be reckoned with. And I just want to encourage you, we as Christians, as believers, we need to be a part of rebuilding, rebuilding the walls of righteousness in our culture. We'll learn what it takes to commit to rebuilding and restoring lives. We'll realize that there's always opposition to that goal. And what will it take in order to achieve that goal? We will gain hope through this teaching all summer. We're going to gain hope. We're going to gain faith in God that it's Him who does the changing. It's Him that affects lives. It's He that makes the difference. We are just vessels to be used in love and in grace and in compassion to make a difference in other people's lives. So today, as I've given you that breakdown and kind of where things set in that context of that scripture, now I want to talk to you about that first chapter. And I, I want to call it as I said before, repent, rebuild, and restore. All of these words have the, the prefix re, which means to do over again. You know, the word repent is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's metanoa, which means to do a 180-degree turn. Turn from where you were going into the, into the direction you should be going. That's what it, it means. The word repent also can just be broken down. That core word, pent, it's the same word we get that we use to say penthouse. In other words, when we say repent, we're saying come back up here. And that's what God's saying. He's saying when you were in the garden, there was paradise, there was holiness, there was purity, and you have fallen from that grace. But when we repent, we are coming back up into the presence of God, and we're, we're sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus who made uh, an opportunity for us to repent, to make it right, to make a turn, to change. And repent a lot of times in our past has been characterized through Christian services where 
you go down and you cry and you bawl and you weep. And there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes our repentance is so real and you've had such a great change in your life that, that, that it evokes emotion that way. But the truth is that emotion is not repentance. That emotion is not a change in you. What's happening is a spiritual thing is happening on the inside of you because you have made a decision to literally say, I'm not following my own ways anymore. I'm following the ways of God. And when I decide to follow the ways of God, then His Holy Spirit comes into my heart and He changes me from the inside out and begins the process of growth spiritually in my life. Now, I know this is a lot of teaching, and I want you to get a hold of it. We're intentionally going deep in this series. We're intentionally taking it there because we do not want to ever be guilty of giving you little bitty pieces of something that makes you just feel good and gives you a little bit of encouragement and inspiration. We want that too. But we need you to know that the Word of God is true for you and it goes to deep places and there are some expectations from God to us that would happen as a result of following Him. That, that second thing, rebuild, it implies that what we're doing is we're rebuilding. We're building over again. In other words, what we're building has, what we are rebuilding has been something that was built but now has been torn down. And, and right now we're living in a culture where harmony and unity has been torn down. We're living in a culture where, where morality and ethics and integrity have been torn down. And it's time for us to contribute back to rebuilding a structure that is holy, that is pure, that is righteous, if by no other way than just us living as the light of Jesus Christ in a very dark world. And then that, that other word, restore, to, to literally put something back in its original character to put something back the way it was intended to be you know someday we're going to see the world again the way it was intended to be we're going to live in a world believers are with a new heaven and a new earth Jesus at some point is going to do what he said we're going to learn through all of these scriptures as we study this through the summer that Jesus says what he's going to do and then he does it God does not lie he is not a man that he should lie and he says he tells us this is what's going to happen and 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 I don't know why we don't believe him because over and over and over again he says if this if you do this this is what's going to happen and then he says if you do this this is what's going to happen and I don't know why we don't believe cuz we've seen it over and over throughout history we've seen it throughout our own lives we've seen it throughout our society and culture we need to start putting validation in the words of God again God said it he gave us his word the bible said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed out of his own mouth. We need to understand it. We need to own it again. We need to believe it again. We need to walk in it again. We need to get a hold of the promises of God and walk them out in our lives. We need to repent. We need to rebuild and we need to restore. And someday when, when, when Jesus returns and all of the things that happen that we've studied in years gone by and may even talk about a little bit in this series, the eschatological things, the end of times, that, that will happen because God said they would. At the end of all of that, there'll be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. And we're all going to exist in this paradise, this place of perfection, the way it was intended to be. But can I tell you, you don't have to wait for heaven to be restored. 
You don't have to wait for the end of times or for yourself to die and go into the presence of God for you to be made like you were supposed to be made in the beginning. God, that's what he does when you are born again, when your life is changed. He, he, He changes your heart from the inside. And then he gives you this process, this metamorphosis, this overtime process of pressure and 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 learning and development and renewing of your mind that causes you to become more and more and more like him because as the bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that is the purpose of god for every one of us that believe that is that we would be conformed made like molded into the image of his dear son so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1 verse three through four, and break it down today. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I look at that passage of Scripture, and every time I read it, it stirs me. Every time I read it, I get, I get moved in my spirit. I mean, I've read this a million times, but for some reason in preparation for this, it is, it's done something to me. And I think it's done something to me because of the way I feel about our world right now. I, I, and many times I find myself in prayer crying over our world. Not, not, not don't misunderstand me, not, not crying in hopelessness, not crying in fear, not crying in over, being overwhelmed, but crying just because it's a disgrace what's happening to us. And I don't mean that like someone's disgraceful or someone's ugly or somebody's bad or we don't like people. I'm saying it in this sense that it's a disgrace that our culture is being literally torn apart in so many different ways right now. Our society is being just ripped apart because of what I I consider to be the key component, cultural and moral relativism. This idea that really got its start philosophically back in the late 50s and 60s and 70s that has just gone to seed and produced fruit of complete insanity where we don't view truth as truth anymore. That we just pick our own truth and choose our own truth and then try to impose our truth on other people's truths. And, 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 and it's, it's just gotten crazy. It's gotten out of hand. It's gotten out of control. And I see the people that are being hurt. And mostly what I see is I see people who are being destroyed by sin, who are being destroyed by immorality, who are being destroyed. God loves them. God God loves them, and He cares for them. But I've got to be honest, one of the other things I cry for is I see so much of the church falling prey to the spirit of this age. I've got personal friends who have rejected their faith. I've got personal friends who have walked away from what they know to be true because they've been so inundated with the mentality and mindset of the world. And some of them, even because they started with good intentions and wanted to help in some significant way in an area of what they seemed or appeared to be injustice, but now have found themselves completely confused and questioning even their own faith in God. I just want you to understand that the devil is tricky. 
That the Bible said that we should be very aware of the wiles or the sneakiness of the devil. The Bible talks about Christians walking circumspectly, which means you're, it's a military term, meaning you, you, you're walking into looking around the circumference of what is around you, circumspectly. You are looking around, making sure that you're not going to be surprised by anything that jumps out at you. We really, as Christians, have got to stop playing games spiritually and really get on our guard and begin to let the, the Word of God be our guide and not the feelings of this world, the philosophies of this age, the popularity of those speaking. We need to understand that we're in a battle. We are in a battle for the souls of people who are being deceived, who are being uh, 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 completely... Um, spiritually emaciated they are being absolutely affected and impacted in ways that are going to destroy their lives the bible literally tells us in proverbs there is a way that seems right to a man but at the end of it is destruction we really as the church have got to get a hold of the word of god we have to again go back and start studying the word and start reviving those things in us nehemiah he, he, he sees what's going on. He sees the disgrace. He sees the broken down walls. When you read that and it says the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire, it just it basically gives you the imagery that it, the, the brokenness is complete. It's completely broken down. Well, what is a city with broken down walls and burned gates? It's an unsafe place to be in that time and in that world. What It means all the structures and protections and provisions uh, for that community have been obliterated. They don't exist. And so it's, it's not only an issue of pride for the city of, man, they, they, they're dis, it's, it's disgusting what has happened to them. It's more than that. It's, it, it, it's protection. It's provision. And so he looks at this because these are his people. And although he doesn't live there, he still cares about the situation. So the first thing I would notice in this passage of Scripture is Nehemiah was in a place of prominence, but he was still concerned about the state of his home and the spiritual and physical welfare of his people. I feel like, I feel like that we, we're guilty of some things, church. I, I, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Listen, I told you this series, we're going to go deep. And so we're going to challenge things in all of us. I, I, this is not meant to be harsh or condemning in any way, but we are going to get honest in our lives today, this summer, because I'm expecting us to grow and God to do some significant things. But I think God blesses us and we enjoy the blessings and we get opportunities and good things happen to us. But it's so easy for us to forget about the purpose of why God did that in our lives. You know, I look at Abraham. God gave Abraham a son. And then God required that son, Isaac, back from him. And I often wondered, God, why did you do that? Now, there's some prophetic reasons because God was going to give his own son in the future. And it was like an end sample of what was going to happen with Jesus. But, but, but there's another reason here, too, I believe. That sometimes God blesses us and our worship turns from the blesser to the blessing. We begin to worship the blessing instead of worshiping the blesser. And, and, and I believe what God was saying to Abraham is he was saying, Abraham, I want to see if you'll put your blessing down and give your devotion only to me. 
And, and, and I think that sometimes we are guilty of this, that God gives us that new opportunity. And instead of us taking it and using it for the purpose of his kingdom, we just thank him for the blessing and we move on with our lives. And we don't realize there was a reason why he gave us that blessing. The Bible says many times in the book of James, it says that many times we don't receive what we ask of God because when we ask him, we ask it so that we'll consume it up on our own lust. We need to understand that was not God's intention. When God blesses us, it's to be a blessing. When God gives us something and blesses our life, it's for purpose. It's for reading. I, I see so many people that they get blessed and the very person who blessed them, God, they, they, find, they get busy with their blessing and they even stop going to church and worshiping the God who gave them the blessing. It's important for us to understand that if God blesses us, he's blessing us for purpose. We must be aware of the overarching purpose, not just caught up with our day-to-day -day living. There's more to life than that, church. We want to succeed personally, but for the purpose of, of making a difference. I want to say that again. We do want to succeed personally. God wants to bless us. Look at Nehemiah. He was oppressed. He was uh, 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 enslaved. He was in exile from his own nation. But look at the position of influence God gave him. God wants to bless you. The Bible says, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. God wants to give you places of prominence. He wants to give you influence. He wants to bless your life. But there's a reason he wants to do it. And so Nehemiah remembers his people. He remembers his home city. He remembers what God wants to do. He sees the brokenness. He sees. And we want to succeed personally, but for the purpose of making a difference. The second thing I would want you to notice is that when he heard the devastating news, he responded by weeping, which led to fasting and praying for days. Now listen to me. When I read this, I, I, I did not, as I read this, I, I promise you, I did not um, go, yes, that's right. That's exactly right. That's, that's right. That's what we should be thinking. When he heard this, he should be crying. He should be calling out to God. I didn't do that. You know what I did instead? I got convicted. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And I really just heard this question in my heart. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me in my heart and in my mind and press on my heart this. You've had a lot of opinions about the way things are going. You've made a lot of statements about the way things are going. You've got a lot of ideas about the way things are going. But how many tears have you cried? And I'm telling you, that broke something on the inside of me. How many tears have I cried? Do I really look? Have I gotten like Lot so used to a debauched culture? Have I become like Lot who was so close to the problem, so used to it? And, and not separate from it, that I'm not even moved by the devastation and the decimation of morality and integrity and goodness and graciousness and honesty. Have, have I been so enveloped by the nature of this world that I look at it and it doesn't move me to tears? Believers, when we look at the culture as it is today, what we should see is broken souls. 
We should see people who are hurting. We should see people who are being treated unjustly. We should see people who sin has devastated their life, whose families have broken down. When's the last time that you looked at our culture and you didn't fear and you weren't overwhelmed and you didn't get angry, but when's the last time you looked at what's going on in our world and cried? Cried. That the brokenness that is on the outside began to affect brokenness on the inside. To the point of crying out to God. You see, what happened in Nehemiah is when he heard the devastating news that the walls were broken and the gates were burned, he started crying. He sat down, he began weeping, and then he started praying and fasting for days. When's the last time you've prayed and fasted? Not for God to do something in your life, but when's the last time you prayed and fasted for lost souls? When's the last time that you and I have prayed and fasted because we see the devastation of what's going on in our world? I'm trying not to be emotional, but I feel emotional. I feel like the Holy Spirit is moving something on me and on our church to wake up and stop being so cold and stop being so used to it and stop acting like this is just normal. It's not normal. It's not okay. And it's time that we woke up and allowed it to move us to tears, allowed it to move us to compassion. The Bible said when God, Jesus reached out to people, he was moved with compassion. What is our response to the brokenness we see around us? What is the appropriate response? I can tell you what the appropriate response is. I know what we think the appropriate response is. Be the loudest. We think the appropriate response is opine our words and our philosophies and our ideologies and get them out there as far as we can to everybody we can, whether we ask for it or not. That's the way to make a change, and it's not. What is the appropriate response? The appropriate response is Nehemiah's response. The first thing is weeping, weeping. You know, the Bible says in James that there are times that our rejoicing needs to turn into mourning. In other words, we, we, we sometimes are rejoicing and going along life when it's inappropriate to just be going along. It's inappropriate for us to just be rejoicing when things are broken down. It's inappropriate for us to be in denial and act like things don't need to change. But what's appropriate is that we be moved to compassion to the point that tears are rolling from our eyes and our knees are hitting the ground and our faces are risen to our Savior, crying out to God, saying, God, we need your help. Our walls are broken. Our gates are burned. Help us. And that's what Nehemiah did. And that church is the appropriate response. It is the church's response. Let's stop wasting energy on other responses and respond like God expects us to respond. I really believe I was standing right here in this auditorium as we were worshiping not long ago and we were singing a song about God turning things around. And I really believe that God spoke to my spirit and said, if my people would pray like they're supposed to pray, I will turn it around. I'm challenging us. Let our response be the appropriate response as we see the walls have fallen, as we see the gates have been burned. 
Let's respond with fasting and prayer and tears of seeking God's face. When's the last time you felt moved like that? Have we gotten so cold that we don't even feel that anymore? That we're not convicted to that anymore? The third thing I would want you to notice is he reminded God of his covenant and relationship that they had. Can I just tell you that God has made himself responsible to his word? I'm not making that up. It's not something that I've made up or a religion that is uh, or, or, or a philosophy that comes out of our church. That's the Bible that God has made himself responsible to his word. And more, more times than once, you'll go into the word and you'll look at a prophet or a leader or someone who is trying to get something done. And they will literally, the Bible will literally say they reminded God of his covenant. They reminded God or they would say something like, remember us, remember your covenant. Remember, and this is what Nehemiah did. He presented God's word to him. He reminded God, we have a covenant. And you said, if we'd call out to you, you said if we would turn back to you, you would show up. So our, the application for us is that we need to present God's word to him in prayer. In order to do this, in order to do this, we must know his word. You can't present God's word to him. The Lord, this is what you promised if you don't know it. You got to be in it. You got to be seeking his face. Church, I read a statistic the other day that said the average person who calls himself a Christian in the United States of America that actually does devotions, reads their Bible and prays on a consistent basis is less than 20%. It's a wonder. It's no wonder that sometimes we're spiritually anemic. It's no wonder that sometimes we don't have the power to overcome sin. It's no wonder that sometimes we're not getting victory over sickness. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a wonder sometimes when we're not being evangelistic or winning other people to the Lord. If we're not in his word, we cannot be growing in him. Come on, church, this is how we do it. If we're going to remind him of his word and say, God, this is what you promised. This is what you said would happen. This is, this is your word. This is the covenant we had. We have to know the word to remind him of his word. He has committed himself to his word. The fourth thing I would want you to recognize in this breakdown is he confessed what the people and he and his family had done. He recognized and confessed where they had been wrong. He admitted that the people of God were remiss in their relationship to him and keeping their side of the covenant. Are we? Are we keeping our side? You know, we live in a nation where God is not requiring of us that we martyr ourselves or be martyred. But the Bible says that we should live our lives and worship God, which is our reasonable service, by being a living sacrifice. In other words, I'm not, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price, a very expensive price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm not making the decisions for my life, and I'm not deciding what is good for Gadbury and what Gadbury should be doing. You know what I'm thinking? God, what is your will? What is your way? What is your plan? What is your purpose? Because I don't belong to me. I belong to him. He admitted we've been remiss. We've become idolatrous. We've taken on the nature of the world. We've allowed other things to tempt us and 
pull us away from you. We've worshipped other things. We've been distracted. I'm asking us today as believers, are we? If so, then it's time to acknowledge it. It's time to confess it. It's time to repent of, of giving in to temptation. It's time to repent of being distracted. It's time to repent of being spiritually lukewarm. It's time to repent of lacking compassion. It's time to repent. It's time to repent for our lack of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, for our lack of seeking His face. And remember, repentance is not some tearful cry necessarily. It can be. But repentance is saying, I acknowledge that I am being distracted. I acknowledge that I am giving in to temptation. I acknowledge that I am not following Christ and I turn towards Him. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the NIV, it says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So many of us are wanting that refreshing. We're wanting that feeling of uh, exuberance from the Holy Spirit to come into our life. But listen, we need to understand, it comes when we repent. The fifth thing, and, and we're getting close to the end, but the fifth thing is this, he acknowledged how the covenant worked, that they had been guilty, but that God had also said he would, he, would, he would change things if they would turn and pray. He would hear their prayer, and he would deliver them. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to humbly pray and ask God to help us. But I want to tell you something, in August the first part of August, and I want, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody gets involved. I hope that Church Online expands. I hope that every person who's coming to church in person is in the house every weekend. I'm praying that we will build and grow and develop all the way to August because on August the 1st, as we are coming to the last messages in this series, we're going to fast and pray for 21 days. And we're going to fast and pray for our city. We're going to fast and pray for lost souls. We're going to fast and pray for our culture, for unity, for harmony, for love, for people's lives to be saved, for marriages to be healed. We're going to fast and pray that things change. God will turn it around if we'll ask him to turn it around. But we have to do it humbly and we have to come to him knowing that we have been wrong in ways and we need to change. The sixth thing he said that I want you to notice he asked God to hear him and answer him and give him favor with those who he had influence. And what I want us to take from that right now is that we need to learn how to pray specifically. I think sometimes we pray generally, we pray lazily, we pray, you know, certain traditional or even routine prayers. But Nehemiah knew how to pray specifically. He knew that in order to save Jerusalem, he was going to have to have some resources. He knew he was going to have to have favor with his leader. He knew that things were going to have to change. And so he prayed specifically for the things he needed God to do. And I want us to learn to pray specifically. And then the seventh and last thing in this first chapter, he was willing to use his influence to advance the kingdom of God. He realized that God had put him in the position he was in for a reason. He wasn't there just to be the cupbearer. He wasn't there just for his personal success. He wasn't there just because he was loyal to the king. He was there because there would come a time where God would need him 
to use his influence to get the resources to rebuild Jerusalem. God put him there. My question to all of us today is, are we going to start realizing that it's not just about living your life and hoping God blesses it, but realizing that God wants to use your life to make a difference? That your life should be filled with the purpose of kingdom advancement, not just your personal advancement. God wants you to use the influence that he's put on your life to make a difference in the lives of other people. What little single moms could you help? What what people who are down and impoverished could you help? What people who are up and out, they've got everything you can imagine, but in their soul they're lost that you could help because of your place of influence. Listen, God put you there. You didn't put yourself there. He put you there. What are you doing with it? He recognized it. He recognized it, and he was willing to use it for the purpose of the kingdom. We must see the big picture, and we must be willing to live our lives full on for that. We're in a place of urgency. and I'm I'm closing with this. We're, we're, We're in a place of urgency for the next generation. We can no longer be passive. I'm talking to moms and dads now. I'm talking about young adults with little kids. And I'm talking to middle-aged adults with older kids. And I'm talking to grandparents right now. Listen to me. We can no longer be passive spiritually. We can no longer be outside observers to what's going on saying, Oh my Lord, what's happening? We must step up to this challenge. We must get on our knees and begin to pray for answers and pray for solutions and trust God to make out of us answers and solutions to turn things around so that the generations coming after us, for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids will not have to face a world without a conscience. How do we feel about what's going on in our world what are we doing about it do we see the generation that's coming behind us are we setting the pace for them or are we pointing them in a wrong direction if we're doing something about it what are we doing is it the right thing that we're doing do we see this as a spiritual problem or merely an emotional physical sexual or mental problem the goal of this series is to stir us stir a passion on the inside of us for the kingdom of God and his purpose for our generation and the generation to come. I want God to be able to say about me what he said about David in the book of Acts, that he served the purpose of God to his generation and then he slept. I'm asking you, church. I'm asking you, young parents. I'm asking you, middle-aged parents. I'm asking you, grandparents. It's time to get active. It's time to raise the level. It's time to rebuild, repent, and restore. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll forgive us of the places in our lives where we've allowed temptation to overcome us. We pray that you'll forgive us of sins that we have committed. We pray that you'll forgive us for being distracted. We pray that you'll forgive us for not seeing that your blessing on us is to be a blessing through us. Father, we pray that you'll forgive us for not being full on for your kingdom, but being lukewarm. 
We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll raise up a devotion on the inside of us. We pray that you'll raise up a commitment on the inside of us that we will not be passive observers anymore, but we will be solutions. We will be problem solvers. We will be prayer warriors. We will be a lightning rod for your Holy Spirit to, con- to, to conduct the powerful things you want to do in the lives of other people. We ask you to do this in us. We ask you to do it. Stir us up. Help us to repent of those things. Reveal to us what we need to repent of. Help us to rebuild. Help us to look at the walls that have been torn down and, 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 and get ready to build. Help us, Heavenly Father, to see the beauty in what you want to restore. And help us to have hope in our hearts that you're going to do it and you're going to use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.